So by a show of applause, how many of you are excited for Christmas? That's, that's good. How many of you are shocked that it's even Christmas already? You got a few, yeah. Okay, how many of you just aren't really quite sure how to feel about it being Christmas right now? Yeah, you always have a few that are like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, one of our team members said earlier that he needs to leave this as soon as it's over so he can go buy Christmas presents. He's doomed. He's doomed. So for me, if it's possible, I'm kind of a combination of all three. Um, I'm not really ready for Christmas. It's weird that it's here already. It's weird that we're talking about 2018. That's just completely bizarre. But also because my favorite holiday actually passed a month ago. So I am a Thanksgiving guy. I think Thanksgiving is the best holiday. I started drinking pumpkin spice lattes in September, and I won't stop until they make me. Uh, in fact, almost all Starbucks in Frederick don't serve it anymore because they run out, but one of them does, and I'm not telling you which one it is. That is where I work on a regular basis. So for me, my favorite food is mashed potatoes. I could eat turkey leftovers every day for the rest of my life and be completely satisfied. Uh, in fact, when I was a kid, I actually wanted to start a restaurant that only served Thanksgiving dinner, um, which I thought was a great idea. I've like jokingly said that to people in the past, and like that is a terrible idea. But I, but I love Thanksgiving. And the reason why I think I love Thanksgiving is because it's essentially Christmas without the stress. The reality is Christmas is stressful. Right? You get that. Like, even those of you who are, like, ready for Christmas and you're excited and Elf's been on a loop in your house every day for the last 30 days, like, there's a part of you inside that feels that stress and that pressure of Christmas. A lot of us, we love the idea of Christmas and we get excited about the holidays, but when the time comes, we get stressed out. Now, there are a few things that stress me about, out about Christmas. Money shopping in the chaos of Target. I went in the middle of the day the other day, and there were like a million people everywhere. I was completely stressed out. Traveling, uh, we're doing that as soon as the service ends tomorrow. These things kind of stress me out. But the thing that gives me the most anxiety when it comes to Christmas is opening gifts in front of other people. I hate it. I don't want to disappoint my friends and family with my reaction. I'm not very, I'm not like an excitable person. Like I don't really get excited about things uh, and I don't fake excitement well. So the idea of opening up an awesome gift and reacting differently than how someone wanted me to react gives me stress. But the same thing is true when you open up a gift that's actually really terrible and people are staring at you, but you have to like pretend to love it. Like that stresses me out as well. Both situations are completely soul crushing to me. If you want to make me super uncomfortable, just hand me a gift and like force me to open it in front of you. Like I crumble. I can't, I just can't do it. It's my nightmare. I would rather be standing up here naked than open a gift in front of you. I promise. It, it, that's how much I hate it. In fact, at Collective, we have small groups that meet during the week. And on Thursday, the group that I go to had a white elephant gift exchange. And the gifts, I mean, you guys have done white elephant before, right? Like we, we actually did a found object white elephant where you had to find something in your home and wrap it and give it to someone else. So take your junk and give, give it to somebody else. And for me, like, I know they're gag gifts, right? Like, you know it's a joke and all that. I couldn't open one. Like, no matter what, I was like, I'm just going to steal. I ended up stealing something from my own wife because I didn't want to open a gift. And anytime I do a white elephant, I always steal because no one stares at you with the expectation of how you're going to respond when you open that gift. So opening gifts has always given me, like, this weird anxiety ever since I was a kid. When I was in middle school, I got obsessed with guessing the gifts that were under the tree, and so, not to ruin the surprise for my parents, but to prepare myself, like to tell myself, okay, this looks like a CD. How would you respond to a CD? This is how you're supposed to respond, because I can't do it. I told you. And so, one, one afternoon, I'm, I'm looking at gifts, and I'm kind of, I'm touching them, you know, you're shaking them, you're listening to them, trying to figure out what it is. And my mom sees me, 
And she's like, you need to stop that right now. And so I ignored her, and I kept guessing. And she warned me again. This time she's like, if you guess one more time, right or wrong, I'm going to take that gift from you. And so I decided to call my mom's bluff. And I picked up a new gift. I shook it. I looked her dead in the eye, and I said, it's a watch. <laughs> she immediately looked at me and said, go to your room. She took the gift. She ended up hiding it. Weeks later, Christmas came, and the gift still wasn't under the tree. So I called my mom's bluff, and I failed. Lesson to everybody here that's a kid. Like, don't call your mom's bluff. It's not worth it. As Christmas came to an end, she actually handed me one last gift, and it was a different shape than, than what I had previously guessed. And I opened it up, and it was a box inside of a box. And so there's a small box, the one that I guessed. And I remember opening that up, and it was a watch. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons why I don't like opening gifts is because when it comes to gift giving, there's that phrase, it's the thought that counts. Right? You've heard that before. You get that gift, and it's terrible. And your mom says to you, hey, it's the thought that counts. It's Ralphie from A Christmas Story when he gets the pink bunny suit from his aunt, right? And Ralphie's mom says, you need to go try it on. And Ralphie says in the narration, Aunt Clara had for years labored under the delusion that I, that I was not only perpetually four years old, but also a girl. And Ralphie's mom reminds him as he sits on the stairwell in that bunny suit that it's the thought that counts. So my fear is opening a gift where it is the thought that counts, but they've put minimal thought into it. Then I have to react like this gift changed my life. Like my life is better for having that scarf because the fear of my neck getting cold was crippling and stops me from going outside, and so it saved me. My mom's in the front row. She probably bought me a scarf this year. I'm really sorry. It's still a good gift. Um, but this idea of it's the thought that counts gets us in trouble. Mostly because we don't always put a ton of thought into the gifts that we give. And so today I want us to think about, what if we did? What if the gifts that we give had all the thought that we could muster? What if the gift that we could offer was the best gift that we actually could? Right now we're in a series called Christmas Carols. And every winter we're inundated with Christmas music, but we barely take the time to think about what the true meanings of those songs are. It feels like that video we played earlier, right? Like it doesn't matter if you're walking downtown or you're sitting at a coffee shop or you're in a store. It doesn't matter if it's a snow globe. It doesn't matter. Christmas music is playing right now. And so over the last three weeks, we've been in this series where we've taken Christmas carols and we've learned the history of the song and we've tried to figure out how does this relate to Jesus? How does this relate to the church? How does this relate to my life? And the reason why we're doing that is because we are hoping that coming out of this series and coming out of a night like tonight, we have a better understanding of what we're singing. And so over the last three weeks, we, sang, we, we actually went through and sang Hark to Herald Angels Sing, Silent Night, and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which if you notice, those are the three songs that we sang leading up to the fourth song, the topic of today, which is the Little Drummer Boy. So I think Little Drummer Boy is probably the most polarizing song that we're doing in this series. The Little Drummer Boy is kind of that carol that people either love or hate. There really isn't an in-between. The song can be kind of cheesy. The pum 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 gets old. In fact, the woman who wrote it, Catherine Davis, actually said this, that the Little Drummer Boy had been done to death on radio and TV and yet people still continued to make it. But as I kind of went through this song and tried to learn the history of it, the, the history and the story behind the song is incredible. 
And so here's the origin of the little drummer boy. Even though this song isn't as old as some of the other songs that we sing at Christmas, the roots go back hundreds of years. The little drummer boy was originally known as the carol of the drum. The song was written by the American classical music composer Catherine Davis in 1941. But the story of the little drummer boy was actually adapted from a 12th century story called Our Lady's Juggler. Our Lady's Juggler is a religious miracle story by a French author named Anatole France, which was published in 1892 and was based on an even further medieval legend. Our Lady's Juggler tells the story of a juggler who turned monk who has no gift to offer the statue of the Virgin Mary except for his ability to juggle well. Upon doing so, he is accused of blasphemy by the other monks, but the statue comes to life and blesses the juggler. In 1902, this was made into an opera. And adaptations have occurred throughout the years, including the song, The Little Drummer Boy, in 1941. In 1951, the song was first recorded by the Trap Family Singers. That might sound familiar to you, the same Trap Family Singers that The Sound of Music is based on. Then the song was further popularized in 1958 by a recording by this guy named Harry Simeon. Simeon's version was re-released year after year successfully, and so that's how the song became adapted uh, by many people and many different artists throughout the years. That includes the 1968 claymation version, which most of you guys think about when you think of Little Drummer Boy, you think about this like terrifying kid that's <laughs> the claymation version. It's terrifying. I remember watching that when I was a kid, and I was like, this is awful. Um, but since the 1950s, the Little Drummer Boy has appeared in over 200 different versions of the song, in seven different languages, and in more than 15 musical genres. The story of the Little Drummer Boy is actually fictional, but it's based on a true story. The story surrounding the Little Drummer Boy is from the birth of Jesus. So although this song is about this fictional drummer boy, the event is real. And the truth that we learn is real. Here's where the story comes from. It comes from uh, the book of Matthew. This is what it says. In Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. I'm going to pause there for a second. So Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. And a lot of times when we read the Bible, we read about people and places, and sometimes we get lost in these details. We're trying to figure out, like, why does Herod matter? But it's important to note that as Matthew wrote this, Matthew who wrote this account of Jesus' life, it's important to note that he used real people in real places. Every single one of those details, you can Wikipedia when you get home, and you can learn about King Herod, and you can learn about Bethlehem, and you can learn about Judea. And so what Matthew is saying is that at a real time, Jesus was born in a real place, and real people were there, and they were aware of it. Matthew continues, Matthew 2, 2. And the Magi came from Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These Magi, they're talking about Jesus, and a star shined in the sky and pointed their way towards Bethlehem. And so the Magi realized, they knew this was a sign. They realized, okay, we need to follow that star. We need to find the Savior. We need to find this person that was born, the Son of God. This upsets King Herod because he is actually the literal king of the Jews, and they're talking about Jesus who is born to be the actual king, the ruler, the savior of the Jews. And so King Herod, what he does is he gathers all of his teachers of the law and these officials, people who were scholars in the Old Testament, people who knew the first half of the Bible front and back. And he asks them, 
Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? The Messiah meaning God's chosen one, the one to deliver his people to freedom. And this is what they said in Matthew 2, 5 and 6. They responded, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there had been prophecies about his birth. So when King Herod asked this question, where is the Messiah going to be born? They quoted this guy named Isaiah from the Old Testament. Because for hundreds of years, they were waiting for this. They were longing for this. For hundreds of years, they were hoping the day would come when God would be with us and a Savior would be born. And so because of that, they knew exactly what the prophecy said. And they knew exactly where to go. Matthew 2, 10 through 11 says this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Again, they were overjoyed because they knew that meant the Savior had come. The, the person who was born to deliver God's people to freedom had been born. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These magi are overjoyed because the prophecies have come true. The promise of a savior was fulfilled. And so they went and they worshiped him and they brought gifts that were fit for a king because Jesus was born just like God had promised. So this is the real story of the Magi's visit with Jesus. And the little drummer boy is a character that's kind of inserted into this account in Matthew. And so the song is written as if the little drummer boy joined these magi in visiting Jesus when he was born in a major, kind of inserts him into the story. And that's why when we sing the song, it sounds so familiar to us. That's why when we sing this song, we're like, wait, like, haven't I heard that before? This is what the verses say. Verse 1, come they told me. A newborn king to see, our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king so to honor him when we come. Verse 2, little baby, I am a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give a king. Shall I play for you on my drum? Verse 3, Mary nodded. The ox and lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him, and then he smiled at me, me and my drum. The little drummer boy, um, the backstory on him is, is he's this, this boy named Aaron, and he's a poor boy who's had a terrible life. The kind of, the, the fairy tale around this kid is that at his young age, his whole family was actually killed, and a fire destroyed everything that he had owned except for his drum. Over time, Aaron continued to face struggles and heartache until he grew cold towards other people and no longer believed that there was light in the world. And then one night, he bumps into the Magi who are on their way to see Jesus. And his hope in this interaction is that maybe they can bring him hope and maybe they can bring him healing. And so he goes to these Magi and he kind of tells his story he says, this is who I am. Can you, can you fix this? Can you solve this? This is what I've gone through. Can you heal me? Can you make me better? 
And the Magi say that they can't. But then they tell Aaron, why don't you come with us and come see this, this, this baby that's been born? He, he might be able to bring you that hope. He might be able to bring you that healing. So the young boy figures he has nothing to lose, and he joins them. And when they arrive, the Magi offer those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all very expensive gifts fit to give a king. And as the song says, but the young boy has nothing to offer. And so he offers what he can, a song on his drum. This is one of those times when it's the thought that counts. And this, this gift that he can give is the best gift that he can offer. It is inexpensive. It is imperfect. But he's offering up himself as his gift to this baby. As I mentioned earlier, this song is pretty polarizing. Um, and I get it. I know people love it or they hate it. In fact, like when we told some of our team members that it was today, they're like, I hate that song. And, and I get it. It's a, it's a song that we're not sure we love or maybe the versions that we've heard in the past are like, I don't really fully understand this song. And I, and I was the same way for a very long time. For the longest time, I always thought about the claymation. I thought, this is terrifying. I do not love this song. But in 2008, a band called The Almost put out a version that I actually liked. And I only really liked it because it was a rock version of it. <laughs> Uh, in fact, if there's a rock version of any Christmas song, I'll most likely like it. My dream as a kid was that Linkin Park would put out a Christmas album. I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. Um, but this song by the Almost got me listening to it again and again and again. Last winter, I was driving to Annapolis when the song popped up on my Spotify. And as I was singing the song, even though I've sang it before, this is the first time the lyrics clicked. It was the first time this song actually made sense. So much so, I started crying my eyes out. It was so bad, I actually had to pull over on the side of the road because I couldn't figure out where I was going. And the reason why this song hit me so hard was, just to be honest, at that point in my life, life was kicking my butt. In 2015, I was working at a church, pre-collective, and just to be honest, they kind of slowly took everything from me. They told me I wasn't good enough, and that collective would fail without them. During that year, we watched as two of our best friends celebrate the life of their 26-day-old son who went to be with Jesus. That same year, my wife was excess from her job in Anne, at Anne Arundel Middle School, just one year after they convinced her to leave another job and that she would be safe at this school. We had a daughter uh, that year, which was great, but we realized really quickly that parenting is hard. <laughs> Just to be honest, she's a great kid, but it's hard every single day. And we felt that the most in 2015. In the fall of 2015, my wife's grandma passed away. And it created a ripple in her family that brought sadness, but it also brought a lot of drama. At the end of 2015, we were working with a church planning organization that wasn't the right fit for us. And so mutually, we kind of ended this partnership. They were our partner in this. But instead of walking away peacefully, they actually took everything from us. Everything that we had worked on, every dollar that we had raised, our LLC, they took it. We had fundraised $40,000 that year, and we had to give it all back. And this was especially hard because my wife and I had spent six years fighting and getting to a point where we could start a church. And these partners took it all. I was without a job. 
and our dreams of planning a church were up in the air. And for the next 11 months, I went without a paycheck as I rebuilt everything the organization took from us. This killed our savings, but we continued forward. In March of 2016, we moved to Frederick, uh, kind of refusing to give up on this dream that God put on our hearts to start a church. And the next day, I got a phone call from my mom that my dad was in the hospital with superior vena cava syndrome, and they weren't sure if he would make it. Later that fall, Ray's grandfather passed away. And so for two years, life just kicked our butt. For two years, like, life just wanted us to be destroyed. And so I remember driving around that Christmas, and Little Drummer Boy came on, and I just lost it. The imagery of this little boy approaching the Savior of the world and recognizing that he doesn't have anything to offer. And Jesus' response is to affirm that poor child. I finally understood it. I finally understood that I have nothing to offer Jesus. That I'm an incredibly broken person. And I finally recognized that Jesus didn't come because anything that I can offer to him. But instead he came to offer everything to me, including his own life. He came to offer everything to us. And hearing this song, I realize that I'm the little drummer boy. I'm a poor boy too. And he still loves me. And all I have is my drum. And I know for me, that doesn't seem like it's good enough. It doesn't seem like it's good enough to offer to God. My life at that point didn't feel like it was good enough to be worthy of God's love. But the song reminds us that to Jesus, it's more than enough. Because he just wants me. Or at least he just wants a relationship with us. Because when it comes to Jesus and what he did for us, it really is the thought that counts. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he, longed, or he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Just as God promised, just as God promised, Jesus came in the form of a child to save the world. And this is good news that should cause great joy for every single person. Because a Savior, a Messiah, the Lord, has been born. 
And he came in the most humble form so that, we could, so that he could live a perfect life so that we don't have to. So that we can approach him with our drum and a lifetime full of brokenness. Brokenness from the loss of parents, brokenness from an ended marriage, brokenness from anxiety, brokenness from addiction, brokenness from doubt and skepticism. And all we can do is stand before him and we can play for him. And he loves it. And he loves it because he loves us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we sing these songs. To remind ourselves that the greatest thing to ever happen to this world was the birth of a baby who would one day grow up to live a life, to die on a cross for us so that we don't have to be perfect, so that the gifts we offer don't have to be anything of value. And he does that so that we only offer ourselves. And that's why we celebrate. Because we are that little drummer boy. And we have nothing to offer. But Jesus still loves us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that that he would come. that you would come to earth for us, that you would live a life that was perfect to die on a cross for our sins. God, that you don't expect this extravagant gift from us, but God, we can show up with our brokenness and our baggage and our hurt and our pain, and we can go before you and we can play our drum, and God, you nod and you smile and you affirm us because all you want is us. God, thank you that we get reminded of that yearly. Thank you that we get reminded through song, God, I pray for us as we go through this season and we feel that stress and we're we're longing for hope. We understand fully what it means to be Aaron and the little drummer boy. Or we look around and we look at life and we think, man, this stinks. Who can help me? God, I pray that we turn to you because you're waiting for us with open arms and you're ready for us. God, thank you for loving us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.